Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Chad Briscoe with me here. How are you? I am doing great. Thanks, Wesleyan. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Chad. Dr. Briscoe. So I'm sorry, I should have introduced you as Dr. Chad Briscoe. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> he is an innovative, solutions-focused bioanalytical thought leader with over 25 years of experience working with pharma partners every single day to bring new drugs to the market faster. At Bioagilytics, it is a bioanalytical contract research testing organization. I'm so excited to hear how you got from starting your career, deciding that you wanted to get a PhD, to moving into this world today. Give us the rundown. You bet. I'm glad to do that. And it's uh, it's been an interesting and crazy story, as is so many elements of my, of my life. So I'm a career scientist, and uh, I started in the industry, in the contract research industry, back in 97, after I finished my master's degree. I was at a uh, contract research organization in Lincoln, Nebraska, and about three years into that experience, I was I was working at the bench, scientists, assaying samples, running instruments, mass spectrometry is my area of expertise. And uh, I was looking at how to develop in my career. I was in the pharmaceutical space, and so I was. It was a career development conversation with uh, with my my boss at the time to try and pursue my PhD. And the deal was they supported me, but uh, monetarily, thank you very much to the company, but not as much in time, a bit of flexibility. So I pursued my PhD simultaneously while working in the laboratory. So the next uh, 10 years of my life were quite interesting. I went from working at the bench in the lab to running the laboratory, being laboratory director. And at the same time, I went from one kid and zero dogs to four kids and four dogs. So it was quite a busy time in my life. Thanks uh, a million times over to my wife who supported me through that and was uh, organizing the chaos for us. Um, but uh, so I had a fantastic career. That was a company called MDS. Loved it. The company is uh, kind of broken up and sold off the pieces and, and uh, doesn't exist uh, anymore since about 2010. But when I left in 2010, I left for a challenge with a new company, a, a contract research organization, again, in the bioanalytical space. And the challenge uh, this time around was to build a new lab. So they wanted to greenfield a lab in the US. They had a laboratory in, in Europe and they wanted to greenfield a lab in the US. And so Took my skill set running an organization of about 140 uh, people at the time and started out back at one person, but in kind of a comfortable spot where I could be entrepreneurial, but have a little bit of the safety net of a big company behind me. You know, again, with a with a family of four, you're kind of, you know, it's a tough call to say I'm going to go out on my own and, uh, and start up something, but uh, gave me a really nice opportunity to be entrepreneurial. We built that uh, laboratory quite nicely over the next 10 years. Uh, this was in Kansas City, and it, and it grew well. And then, you know, I kind of started looking at what do I want to do next. And partway through that experience, I had moved from an operational leadership role to a scientific leadership role where I was uh, leading our, uh, you could call it a scientific affairs or a scientific office for the organization globally, where we would interface with customers to help bring the solutions to reality, right? So the solutions that our business development team would sell 
it was our job to help make that interface between the customers and the and the challenging science and make sure it was uh, able to be operationalized back into the operations, make sure projects would uh, happen smoothly within the operations when they kicked off and that uh, kind of just yeah keep everything going that way. And so when I decided to make a change to the current organization I'm with, with Bioagilytics, I, I joined the company as chief scientific officer and was in that role for a while. I uh, was originally given a specific uh, challenge to help support our Hamburg laboratory. I'd been working in Europe off and on over the years. And so I was in Hamburg for about three, four months and uh, you know, back and forth. And then the, I don't know if you've heard of this thing, there's this COVID pandemic popped up and I was sitting in Sweden and, you know, all of a sudden we started hearing this uh, panic and announcements from our president that uh, they might be closing air travel. So I got on the next flight out of Copenhagen to come back to the U.S. and uh, and then uh, started focusing, still looking at Hamburg, how can I help support them, but also, you know, more of a, taking more of a global view then. And uh, yeah, so about eight months went by and I know our chief commercial officer at the time had been looking for ways to expand our leadership team in Europe for the business development role. He was really looking for a leader for the business development role in Europe. And I got a call one day in early January of 2020 and he said, hey, Chad, you know, I know you've always been a scientist. He's always said you wouldn't join the, the sales and business development side of the organization, but uh what do you say you give it a shot, uh, you know, take on Europe. We've had this need, think it'd be a good challenge for you. It'd be a nice new direction for your career and just something to see if you're interested in it. And I surprise myself. Sometimes we surprise ourselves when just yes comes out, right? And it's like, yes, but the only qualification is we got to figure out the details, right? It's like, I know we will, but let's do it. It just, something caught me. I like to tell everybody too. I was, I was literally sitting on a chairlift at Copper Mountain skiing. And uh, I was like, I'll just take the call, see what he wants, you know. And then, uh, so that's how I actually formally got into a business development sales role. So a lot, I know a lot of the people in, in uh, at least in the CRO world, don't like calling it sales, right? They like calling it business development. So, but yeah, that's, so that's how I got from, you know, master's degree at University of Michigan, all the way, kind of the, the short version of all the way through to, to where I sit now as a VP of sales, uh, VP of business development uh, for our European division. So, wow, this is a lot yeah. to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> you went from being a bench chemist to overseeing a lab, yeah. working with a team in Europe, mm -hmm. going to become a sales leader yeah. and managing a team in Europe. So first, I really want to dig into when you were asked to move from the technical side of the business to the commercial side of the business. What were some of the thoughts going through your head and how did you make that decision? Yeah, so I made that decision <laughs> how I make a lot of my best decisions and it's just my gut. And that's always how I've been is uh, when I know something's right, I do it, right? So there's certainly some times where it makes sense to sit down and be analytical and look at the numbers and, and make a plan. But there's other times when you know what the right answer is and somehow you don't even need to think about it very long. And that was one of those decisions. Like I say, I was sitting on a chairlift, right? So I had maybe maximum three minutes, you know, to actually have this whole conversation about changing the whole direction of my career. And, and uh, yeah, that's about what it took. And I said, yep. And then it was kind of like, but I got to go because, you know, tips up, I got to get off this chairlift. <laughs> so. so it seems like you 
it didn't take a lot for you to make that decision to say, hey, I've done this for many decades in my career, but now it's time for a change. Now I am ready to make a move. So tell us how the transition was for you going from being very technical to stepping into that sales leadership role. Yeah. So initially we had a lot of work to do, right? So as happens when you get a lot of new projects, you're able to bury yourself in it so much. You're not even sure what the challenges are. You don't have time to sort of take in the emotions of what kind of a transition did I make? What's this mean for me longer term? You just, you say there's a problem to solve here. There's some challenges the organization needs you to address. And so you dive into it. So I'd say initially it was much more about lining up the you know, what's the strategy, right? So working with uh, working with my, my boss, well, at that time, it's still my boss, working with Nick Morosco to outline the strategy. And then let's just build out the tactics, right? So you make this laundry list of things you need to do. The first thing we needed to do is build the team, right? So build a strong team, get stability within the team so that we're not having the turnover. We're having, you know, turnover every three to six months with business developers. And when you, when you don't have any time to gain momentum, we know that that's really challenging in the business development world. It takes months and years, right, in, in my business to really start seeing the success. So stability within the team and then what do we need for particular processes in Europe? How are we going to interact with the operations team? And so started getting all those pieces in place and just moving a, a million miles an hour. And then it's probably not until six months to a year later that I started sitting down and talking to Nick and thinking to myself about you know, what does this really mean for me? How is it uh, being in a business development role, right? I always was in a spot in operations where I could solve the problems hands-on. And it, as a business developer, you can solve your own problems. You can help improve sales. You can make new strategies and things like that. But you're not in operations fixing the challenges. You're able to influence things, but you can't hands-on fix those things. And that's been sort of the hallmark of my career outside of business development is I had a lot of customers come to me and say, Chad, we like working with your company because you always make it happen. We don't, you're not in every conversation, but when we really need it to happen, we give you a call. And so that's been a bit of a transition. How do you do that as a business development VP or, you know, anywhere from within the business development organization. It's a different challenge. And I've had to get comfortable with that and comfortable with this different role. And then you start looking at, geez, you know, what's next? I'm not ready to jump out of this job, right? But you are kind of thinking down the road, like, I'm just turning 50. I'm just shy of 50. And what am I going to be doing when I'm 60? You know, is, am I going to be in this space? You know, what do I think? Am I going to be, I don't know. You know, so there's all these uh, thoughts and emotions that have been going through my head for the last four to six months now that I've settled into the role and we're still very successful. We're still doing well. I love my team that I've built. So if they're listening, I don't want them to think I'm going anywhere. Right. But you do. It's just a different uh, position to be in. So it's uh, but exciting still. Ah, I can really understand and I can empathize with that high turnover in this technical sales field. One of the things that tends to happen is we hire either really smart people or we hire people who we think will fit the, mm -hmm. the role, but they're not quite equipped for a job in sales. Right. So how were you able to really stabilize your team? How were you able to get that team? You said it was like every three months you guys were turning oh, yeah. over business developers, which yeah. is pretty quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you stabilize it? Yeah. And so some of the turnover was regrettable and some of it was not as regrettable, right? As we also see, right? Somebody comes in, it's not a fit. I think you're doing a favor for 
yourself and the organization when you make changes that need to happen so people can find the right fit for them. But uh, yeah, it, it depends on the the different individuals of what the approach is. So I'm, I'm very fortunate that I had one individual that uh, was a very seasoned uh very seasoned business developer, very committed to the organization. So partnering closely with him. And then uh, as we look to build the other pieces of the team and fill the other roles, you know, we focused on having good, experienced, seasoned people who were more likely, I think, to join an organization that looked like it was moving in a direction of stability. I was the first business development leader in Europe for our organization. So part of this was our organization growing and saying, hey, we're going to have a dedicated European sales team. So people like when they're joining a team and being part of something. And I think especially in Europe, they were joining the European team, but still sort of part of the U.S. team. And I think it was maybe that was a little bit challenging. It, it lost a little bit of focus. There's all sorts of elements. Uh, I uh, hired a woman that had worked with me in the past. So I reached out to my network of people that would connect with me and work well with me. And, and I think be loyal, I would say beyond just the company, I would hope be loyal to me. I mean, I think it, it goes both ways, right? You need people loyal to you and the company. And I try to talk to them all the time, right? Take care of the team, keep them motivated, buy in on, on what's going on. I'll, I'll Last week, and we may want to unpack other aspects of this, but last week was our, our global sales meeting in San Diego. And uh, only one of the team meetings got champagne when we had our breakout sessions. So yeah, so little, you know, little things like that, like, hey, you know, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. We're going to have champagne in our meeting and celebrate successes, right? Do some of these little things. And yeah, so that's, you know, I hope if my team would hear this, they'd agree with everything I'm saying. But I, uh, it'd be interesting in this situation to get their feedback as well. Hmm. What were some of the challenges that you had in, in rebuilding your team? Yeah. So I'd say the first challenge is anytime you bring in new business developers, they have to build the relationships. They have to build the territory. The way we're broken down in Europe is pretty straightforward. We have a guy in the UK. We have a guy in Southern Europe, one in uh, sort of Northern Europe, Germany, Netherlands. And the woman I mentioned before is in Scandinavia. So it's broken down pretty cleanly in Europe. But in most of those regions, we were really trying to build out the region. So you're hiring someone, you're saying, hey, you know, you need to take on this region. It's a great opportunity, right? Because you can build it up. But at the same time, you're not walking in, you know, you're not walking into $10 million in, in sales off the bat. So that's probably the first challenge is getting everyone to have patience, then also getting the organization to have patience with the delivery of the business developers. And we ran a lot of statistics looking at the different individuals who had been with the organization for different amounts of time. And there was a clear correlation in the data. Before I said I'm gut feel, I love data also. It's, just, it's a matter of when you use data versus when, uh, when you make that quick split second decision. But we looked at a lot of data and, and it was clear that you gotta give people time, right? And we're seeing that now, if I look at the order in which I've brought on these four business developers, the performance is, is directly proportional to how long they've been there. So the guy who's been there the longest has the, has the best sales this year. Number two is the guy who's the, the second longest, and then, and then three and four follow right behind. So there's no mystery in, in the challenge there. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that a lot of times within organizations, what, what people tend to do is they expect to hire someone and they expect them to just ramp up 
by themselves. Like someone's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, yeah. You're, you're a great person. You're just going to get out there and sell our products. Mm-hmm. You maybe have been selling the competitors products, or maybe you just understand the science, mm-hmm. but really allowing people to come into their own and give them the time to get up to speed and develop. And then as a leader, having those expectations that are set right. So really mm-hmm. listening to you, it's like, okay, the person who's been here the longest, I expect them to have the most growth. I expect them to be the one who is at the top of the leaderboard. And based on the metrics that I've seen this person give me or the thing that this person has done, I expect other people to kind of come along. Yeah, exactly. I think you said it better than I did without a doubt. But one of the things that I've also done is connecting my people, right? I, I think that's a, a common, certainly it's common. You know, the BD like to reach out to their teammates and I've really encouraged them to do that, to make those connections so that they feel that true team camaraderie you know, have one-on-ones with each other. Just don't, don't just have the one-on-ones with me or if, Hey, if you've got a challenge, you know, maybe this guy is better to solve that challenge uh, than I am because, Hey, this team's all been in sales for 10 to 25 years. I'm only a year and a half in. I don't have all the sales numbers. I don't, you can tell I don't speak all the jargon. I'm learning it. I haven't read all the books. I'm starting to listen to your podcast. I'm learning a lot there, but, uh, but I, as far as really sales go, man, I, I'm new to this gig. I mean, I've been selling through influence and, and just selling because as a nice guy, as a scientist for years, but uh, I'm not the guy that knows how, you know, I don't, I'm not the expert in the, in the, you know, Miller Hyman techniques and all, you know, all these different, uh, you know, all these different things I'm learning, right? I'm excited to learn, but I, I need to rely on, on other folks. Again, my current boss has been extremely supportive. He's a, you know, I mean, he's a career, exemplary career sales professional. My counterpart in the U.S. has been tremendously helpful just to give, you know, make a call and say, hey, what, you know, what would you do in this situation? How have you led in this way? And when you had these kind of challenges and, and uh, so I'm a big promoter in relying on your colleagues, talking to your colleagues, uh, going to your external network. I've called folks outside of my company to ask for advice uh, multiple times uh, because I'm I'm learning, which is it's probably the part I didn't really think I'd embrace as much, right? It's, it's like, hey, I'm really trying to learn the craft. I'm a pretty good scientist, and I'm really trying to learn the craft of sales. The good news is I've been really successful in the last year and a half, so I'm looking forward to seeing how well can I do when I actually feel like I know what I'm doing, if I ever get there. <laughs> so really what I love that you said is, hey, I have people who understand sales better than I do, and I am not threatened by them, Mm -hmm. which so many leaders tend to be threatened by, you know, salespeople that may want to climb up above them or, Mm -hmm. you know, say, well, I want your job one day, or I may want to be your boss one day. And I think a sign of true leadership is really having that confidence in yourself that, hey, my people should be better than I am. And that is actually a check mark that you are a good leader when you can develop people that exceed you, that do more than you ever have come to do. And so you saying, well, I'm not the greatest in sales, but I'm a good leader. And I know this and I know that. And they help me with the sales and I help lead them. Yeah, I think I know what customers want, right? And that that's... And that, I think I know what customers want. I, I understand people pretty well. You know, I, I love working with people. I love to facilitate solutions. Just, I'm, I'm, I've been accused in a, I don't want to say negative way, but maybe in a coaching way of being too much of a pleaser sometimes. But I think, you know, I think we take our, you know, we got to take 
some of these things and make them strengths, right? So if I'm too much of a pleaser, then let's figure out how we can turn that into a strength, right? Let's use it to focus on customer satisfaction. Let's use it to focus on employee satisfaction, bringing the team together, motivating people, but don't let it get in the way of making hard decisions that need to be made occasionally. That's, uh, that's when some of those uh, challenges become negatives. Or I should say those, mm. those, those, yeah, those challenges become negatives. Yeah. So. So you are going to be the first person on the podcast that is going to debunk Wesleyan's, what Ooh. I call Wesleyanisms or Wesleyan's wisdom. Oh and that in order to be a good sales leader, you mm. must be good in sales. Tell me, what do you think about that statement? You know, I would say that uh, I don't have a clue if I'm any good at sales. <laughs> so, because I've never really sold, uh, which I think a lot of the, I would guess a lot of the business developers that I've worked with over the years would say, Chad, you're fantastic in sales, right? I think they would say, you know, this position's been waiting for you. It's just been a matter of when you would actually move into it. You've always been selling. You're really good at sales. But the reality is until a year and a half ago, I, I never worked against an individual sales target or had a territory or any of that. So am I good at sales? I don't really know. I think I'm a pretty good sales leader. The numbers say I'm a pretty good sales leader. So sometimes nothing else matters, <laughs> right? So... Uh... Yeah. So did I debunk it or did I agree with you? I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, you're kind of telling the feds. I thought you were going to say, yes, Wesley, I am a good sales leader and I've yeah. never sold anything ever. Yeah. And yeah. I would yeah. beg to say that um, really in listening to your story and the way that you've gone through your career and your path, you never were, as you said, I've never been classically mm -hmm. sales trained, which right. most people haven't. Right. They're just doing whatever they want to, <laughs> but not having sold, but you're still able to lead a sales team. And I think what you've taught me, and I am humble enough to say when I'm learning something new, is that it is more important to be a good leader and the sales part of that is coming along the way, right? Yeah. Like when you came into the position, you said, okay, turnover is high. You don't need to have known anything about sales to understand how to fix turnover, how to fix company culture, how to stabilize, how to rearrange territories, how to onboard. And so really, I think that one of the things that I am actually leaning into these days when I'm talking to people is they tend to promote the top salesperson mm -hmm. and that top salesperson is for sure, not always a good leader. And so really switching the paradigm and thinking about, okay, let's get a strong leader from outside of our industry mm -hmm. or a strong leader who it may not necessarily have done classic sales, but is sales minded. Like you said, I was always customer facing. I was always having to focus on the customer, mm -hmm. right? So I think that, yes, you did debunk the myth. All right. I, I love fighting the battles, right? When As you were talking, I'm thinking, you know, if it's fighting the battles for my team or if it's fighting battles for the customers or sometimes you're fighting the battles for the operations team that needs to deliver, right? I mean, we don't want to leave them. We don't want to hang them out to dry. Not, you know, when things don't go perfectly with the customer, it's not always on them, right? And so they need us to fight the battles along with them for the customer. So I just, I like getting in there and uh, making things happen. Again, whether it's sales or leading operations or, or in the scientific leadership roles. And I, and I do think that piece resonates with my team is they, they know I'm always going to fight the battles for them. I hope they feel that way anyways. Yes. Yes. I would definitely say that if you, during this difficult two year period mm -hmm. where we've been in this pandemic, you've been able to retain your people who yeah. joined you during this time. 
I would say that that is definitely, definitely the sign of a strong leader. Yeah. So I'm curious, you've mm -hmm. had a very diverse career. Um, you've done a lot of amazing things. What is one thing that you would say you are most excited about having accomplished? Yeah, I think the most exciting career opportunity, or not career opportunity, the, probably the most exciting thing that I accomplished was the first drug, because I'm in the pharmaceutical space, the first drug that I saw from pretty early in the process all the way through to approval. And I've seen others since then, but the very first one, it was a, I, yeah, I can't disclose the name of the company, but I was, in this case, I was literally working on the bench and developing the assays and doing all the science for it. And then I, I progressed through a project management role. And then ultimately when this drug was approved, cause it takes years and you know, it takes years for the career to develop and takes years for the drug to get approved. But I watched this drug go all the way through my lab and through my organization to be on the market. and if you work in the pharmaceutical development space, that is what it's all about, right? It's about seeing drugs go to market. And since then, every time I see a drug that I touch that's on the market, or in one case, just recently, uh, there was a drug that I knew that I had worked on that was a fairly unusual drug that uh, my wife was prescribed. And uh, she's like, what, you know, it's for, it, you know, it's not something you see all the time. She's like, what is this? You know, what is this drug? And I looked at the label and I went, hey, I worked on that back in 2006 when it was like, you know, really early in development. And then, you know, and so you see that direct impact on people that are close to you. So that is by far and away the biggest hit in my career, right? It's kind of not, I love what I've done. I love all the different things I've done. But when you can actually have an, an impact on so many other people, that's uh, by far and away at the top of the list. Mmm, I love that. And that chat is why you are a good leader. It's not about, you know, well, I made all this money or I did this or I did that. It's I made this drug and knowing how this drug is impacting not mm -hmm. just one person or 10 yeah. people, but thousands and maybe even millions of people. Right. And saying like that is what I hang my hat on that very first drug. Yeah. And even to see today something that you worked on a whole decade ago, mm -hmm. two, almost two decades yeah. ago is impacting lives today. Yeah. Cause I think that, I think that program started in maybe 99 and then it was uh, probably approved in 2006, 2007, something like that. So yeah. So I really, that first company I was with, I really saw the progression through my career and, and uh, yeah, and, you know, drugs still on the market today. I mean, it's, uh, you know, still helping people. So very exciting. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. Dr. Chad. Briscoe, you have given us a lot of amazing gems and really, as I said, and it's very hard to change my very strong opinions, but you have, <laughs> you're tilting me on that side. You are tilting me on that side. If people are interested in getting in contact with you, what is the one best way? Yeah, probably the best way is to look me up on LinkedIn and send me a LinkedIn message. I can put my email out there, which would be fine or whatever, but you can find me on LinkedIn really easily. I'm always chatting with people on LinkedIn Messenger. And, and uh, so look me up on LinkedIn. I'd love to talk about anything, right? I mean, um, yeah, anywhere from sales strategy, how I did it, to if you want to be a customer, we'd love to talk to you about that as well, of course. So and anywhere in between. Connecting with old friends, right? I mean, I all sorts of things we, we do through LinkedIn nowadays, so. It is an yeah, amazing platform. It is. Be sure to connect with Chad on LinkedIn. And thank you so much for sharing your time, your talent, and your expertise with us today.
Thank you for the opportunity. I really, I really enjoyed it. A great conversation and I'm enjoying your podcast. So uh, hope to hear many more uh, from you. It's on my list, probably top five rotation right now. So So happy to hear that because, you know, everyone knows that is a podcast host, that it is a labor of love. And so the more lives that I can impact, the um, better that makes me feel. You bet. Thanks so much. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember, in everything that you do and all that you are each and every day, transform your sales. Until next time.